Let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, we are still working on a list of questions asked by Simon Peter. We saw how he was introduced to the Lord, how he became a follower of the Lord Jesus, and he had some questions, questions like you and I often would ask, but we might be too embarrassed. We gain the benefit by listening to his questions and hearing the answers from the Lord. Questions like, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And then even, Lord, what shall we have if we serve you and have forsaken all to follow you? Last night we saw, Lord, are you washing my feet? And we enjoyed a good bath as well as the basin of God's Word to get our feet washed. This morning, we're going to look at question number six, and it's found in John chapter 13. John 13, if you'll notice, in verses 36 and 37. John 13, 36 says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And verse 38, we read, Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Shall we ask the Lord to guide us in these few verses as we look to Him? Let's pray. Father, once again we lift our voice in desperate need that Your Spirit would guide us into all truth and that You will make the book live to us, show us ourselves, and show us our Savior. We pray in His name. Amen. Well, Simon Peter had question number six. It's really a two-part question. I'm calling it one because you have to end up with a total number of seven if it's going to be a spiritual series. And so it's part A and part B. The first part is, Lord, where are you going? And the second part is, Lord, why can I not follow you now? And the first part has to do with something that the Lord had said in a verse prior to where we read. It's John chapter 13, verse 33. It says, little children, by the way, it's a unique occurrence or appearance of that phrase, little children. It's the only time in the Gospel of John that the Lord called His followers little children. John, he picks up that same theme, doesn't he, through First John. Little children, again and again, some eight or nine times. Little children, the Lord Jesus said, I shall be with you a little while longer. Now, when you're talking to little children and you tell them it's a little while, that's like torture, isn't it? Are we there yet? Just a little while longer. And when he said that, he explained, you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. So you see what spurred the question in Simon Peter's life. In fact, later, the Lord in the upper room where we're already at, John 13 through 16, and then his high priestly prayer in John 17. But in John 16, he develops this whole matter of a little while. 
You may remember it in John chapter 16, and it is in verse 16 as well. He says, a little while and you'll not see me, and a little while you will see me. He even explains, a little while you'll be sorrowful, but the world will rejoice. And then a little while you'll be rejoicing. What was he referring to? Well, in those verses, just like here, he's referring to going to the cross. In a little while, you won't see me. He'll be in the tomb. And then in a little while, you will see me and rejoice. He's going to rise from the dead. That's the immediate application and what he's referring to. But then he says it again. He said, and then in a little while, you won't see me because I go to the Father. And then in a little while, you will see me because I will come again. He's speaking of his ascension back into glory. And there he's been for how long? How long? It's a trick. How long? Ah, you caught it, didn't you? That's exactly what Peter writes in his second epistle, chapter 3. For a day is a thousand years. A thousand years is but a day. It's been about 2,000 years since he went away, but Jesus said it's just a little while. Don't you feel the same as those little children? How long, O Lord? When are you coming back? In just a little while. And so in those two little whiles, the little while I'm going to the cross, you won't see me. A little while you will see me, the resurrection that first immediate application, and then the long-term application, I'm going to the Father in a little while, you'll see me again. I'm coming back again. Simon Peter seizes upon this first one, and I want you to see exactly how it unfolds. In the verses we read, you'll notice it in verse 36. Simon Peter knew exactly what he meant because the Lord explained very clearly that he was going to lay down his life. He would be crucified. And in a little while after his crucifixion, you wouldn't see him. But Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Well, he was going to the cross. And part B, Lord, why can I not follow you now? He wanted to be with him. You mean he wanted to go to Calvary? That's exactly what he was offering to do. Notice how he says it in verse 37. Why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Now, wait just a minute. That's not what's going to happen at Calvary. It won't be Simon Peter or anyone else laying down our lives for the Lord, but rather the Lord Jesus Christ laying down His life for us. Only He could be the sacrifice that would take away our sins. If anyone else died for us, they wouldn't live to tell about it. It'd be over. But He would die and had the power to lay down His life and the power to take it back again. And He would see them and they would see Him in a little while. Well, the Lord had to touch Simon Peter's heart at this very moment. And he asked him, he said, will you indeed lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow 
till you have denied knowing me three times. I'm, I'd like to say something profound. Chapter 14 follows chapter 13. It is amazing, isn't it, in our Bible reading times? If we read John chapter 13 today and come to John chapter 14 tomorrow, we have a disconnect. Remember, the Scripture references are not inspired. The Scripture is inspired, but not the references. And sometimes when the chapter ends, we miss the thought flow of what's happening. The Lord had just told Simon Peter something that challenged his heart and should convict him that would bring great sorrow to Simon Peter because the Lord said, you're going to deny that you know me three times before the cock crow, before early morning. And so that would have caused great sorrow. But remember, John 14, which follows 13, says in John chapter 14, verse 1, look at it, please. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If I go, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. You see how it all works together. Because these reassuring words of the promise of His coming and the purpose of His going should minister to Simon Peter and to all the disciples at this very sorrowful hour of the Lord's departure. But Simon Peter... In his question, Lord, where are you going? Why can't I follow you now? He really does show the desire of his heart. Do you have that same desire to be where Christ is? Paul says, it's far better. I would greatly desire to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. It was his desire to be with Christ. And that should be our desire as well. So we commend Simon Peter for his desire. The only problem is that Simon Peter thought he could do it in his own strength. I'm going to ask you to pause on question number six. We just finished it. There's more to say about it, but that's as far as we're going to go. And I'd like to take you before we get to question number seven that we'll look at either later this morning or tomorrow morning and take you to what happened in Simon Peter's life now that began a downward trend seven steps downward. Please follow it. Let me take you first of all to the gospel of Luke chapter 22. Luke's gospel chapter 22. Because at that point, just as we read in John chapter 13, where the Lord prophesied of Peter's denial and comforted his heart, here's the way that the gospel of Luke expresses what should also prepare Peter for what was ahead a very dark time. Luke twenty-two thirty-one and 32. Please notice it with me. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. You'll find eight people in the Bible whose name is called twice. Abraham, Abraham. Jacob, Jacob. Martha, Martha. Saul, Saul. Here, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned or when you are restored, I believe the authorized version says when you are converted, 
when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. The Lord just prophesied that Simon Peter was going to be tested severely, sifted as wheat by Satan himself. But then he gave a word of promise. When you are restored, that means you will be restored. And then gave him a commission or a work that he would do to strengthen fellow believers. Well, it's really quite a, a full message for just those two verses, isn't it? Simon Peter couldn't hear a word he said. Because at that very point, Satan had already come to test Simon Peter. And he starts this way. For this portion, I'd like you to go to the Gospel of Mark, please. Don't you love having the synoptic Gospels? The three Gospels, as well as John, that give synoptic, looking at the same view, three different perspectives. What it does is it fills in the frames that sometimes we may miss with peripheral vision. Looking just at the main theme of what Simon Peter was stepping into for seven steps downward. That would be the title of these next few words here to this morning. It starts in Mark chapter 14 and verse 29. After the Lord had told him what was going to happen to him, we read in verse 29, Mark 14, 29, but Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Here's the first step downward. And I I have to tell you, this is not an original message as far as the thought of it. In fact, nothing I've said the whole week or ever in my life is original. I'm, I'm following the fat principle. The things that you've learned and heard and seen in me, these commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. All right, faithful, able, and teachable. Fat, all right? And so here we are looking at a bit of an outline I heard right after I became a believer. And it was so instructive to me as a Christian, a new Christian, to watch my step. I heard it from George Gutsky, and I understand he heard it from someone else. And I can't remember exactly how it went, but I knew it was seven steps. So I revisited the portion and started to work out through the outline. So uh, I, I can count, I try to be original, but I can count on one hand the number of times I've used other people's messages. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. You get the idea, huh? But I have to tell you, when I heard this message back in 1974 when I trusted the Lord, 1973 when I trusted the Lord, I never forgot it. And it's been a great warning to me that if I want to keep from falling, like Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, if you do these things, you'll never stumble or never fall. Watch out for the first step and the second step and the third step. And the further you get into these steps, the harder it is to back off and to regain your stability. And so the first step Simon Peter has to learn, and you and I want to learn, is that he was boasting with pride when he should have been listening. Jesus had just said, Satan is going to test you and sift you as wheat. Simon Peter said, it'll never happen to me. Even if all are made to stumble, I will not stumble. Jesus said, all of you are going to stumble because of me. 
Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Simon Peter says, won't happen to me. If you think that you won't fall from your stability in Christ, you are dangerously mistaken. You need to catch your stability right now, acknowledge your frailty, and in humbleness, ask the Lord to keep you from falling because you're right at the precipice. Paul warns, if anyone thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. And when we hear of other believers that we esteem and respect highly, falling in shame and disgrace, we should never think that wouldn't happen to me. It could have happened to me, and I would be easier to believe it did happen to me because there's none who hasn't fallen. None. Every one of us. If not indeed that everyone knows, at least in word, and if not indeed nor in word, at least in thought, that only you and God knows. There are no exceptions to this. All have fallen. Simon Peter He's a case in point, a good study for us to learn how not to fall. He was boasting when he should have been listening. Not only that, but just take a couple of verses down from there. When the Lord Jesus took his disciples with him, went over into the Garden of Gethsemane, as verses 32 and 33 tell us, he took in verse 33, Peter, James, and John. He left eight of his disciples. Judas, the betrayer, already departed. Satan already entering Judas, the betrayer, to betray the Lord Jesus. So he took those 11 disciples, left eight of them at the Garden of Gethsemane, went a little bit further with Peter, James, and John, and he went and prayed. He left them, and this is what he said in verse 33. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. While he was praying, he had asked Peter, James, and John to watch and pray. But in verse 37, we read, again, this is Mark 14, 37. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Simon Peter had just said, even if all are made to stumble, I'll never stumble. I'll lay down my life even if I have to die. I'll never deny you. It just said it. And in one hour, he's sound asleep. And the Lord said, could you not even watch one hour, Simon? You know what he was doing? He was sleeping when he should have been praying. Boasting when he should have been listening. Sleeping when he should have been praying. I was talking to a friend. He said, uh, I used to listen to preachers as I was going to sleep. I'd put on a CD and it would just cut off all by itself. And I'd just drift off to sleep somewhere in the middle. He said, but I had to stop doing it because every time I heard a preacher, I started getting sleepy. And he said, I was really convicted about it. I said, I don't know a better way to go to sleep or a better way to wake up than to be praying or thinking about the Lord. That should be our last thoughts, shouldn't it? But when you're committed to diligent prayer, 
If you have to stand up to pray, stand up, but don't fall over asleep. Sometimes we become sleepy in our Christian diligence, haven't we? In our spiritual realms, we need to be alert. That's why he says, watch and pray. Sometimes you have to pray with your eyes open, your heart alert. Best way I know to pray is with my Bible wide open. And the best way I know to study the Bible is on my knees in prayer. We need to be watchful, shouldn't, don't we? And prayerful. Simon Peter, he was already off to the second step downward. He was sleeping when he should have been praying. Step number three follows it because the Lord went away again a second time, came back and found them asleep, went away again a third time in prayer, came back only to find them asleep, woke them up, and he said, it's enough. The betrayer is at hand. Look, if you will, in Mark chapter 14 again, and look in verse 47. Because as soon as the Lord Jesus said, the betrayer is at hand, the mob arrived with Judas Iscariot leading the pack, went up and kissed him. How close can you come to the Lord and turn away? You can come close enough to kiss him or to spit in his face. The imposter had become the betrayer. The son of perdition was on his way to his own place. But the Lord, still in complete control, not running, but facing the opposition head on. You'll notice that when they took their hands and laid them on the Lord Jesus to arrest him, in verse 47 we read, and this is Simon Peter's third step downward, and one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, Mark doesn't tell us all the details that took place. The other gospels fill in the empty spots. One of the gospels, I believe Matthew says, that they called out to the Lord when they laid their hands on him to take him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And it tells us that Simon Peter didn't wait for the answer He drew his sword, and I don't know if he was in fisherman style or what, but Malchus was a good reactor, and he ducked. And instead of taking off his head, it only took off his ear, his right ear. And the Lord, of course, picked his ear up and healed it. You know, sometimes we get into arguments, and we cut people's ears off too, don't we? (laughs) We have to say, Lord, do it again. Put his ears back on so I get another swing. Simon Peter, it's John who tells us it was Simon Peter in John chapter 18, verse 10. Simon Peter drew his sword and tried to defend the Lord. He was fighting when he should have been trusting. Do you remember how many times we're exhorted in the Scriptures, especially in the New Testament epistles, for those who were in leadership not to be a striker, not to be argumentative? That's not our part at all to argument, to be be argumentative. We're rather to be representative as ambassadors for Christ, to be pleading with people. Simon Peter, (laughs) he was fighting, but not the good fight. He was fighting in the flesh with a rusty sword. Now, later, he learned how to handle the sword of the Spirit, didn't he? Do you remember on the day of Pentecost, he stood up and he took the sword of the Spirit of the Word of God. Three times he quotes from the Scriptures 
and 3,000 were saved. Do you remember what they said after that third portion of Scripture he quotes on the day of Pentecost? Luke writes in the book of Acts, and they were cut to the heart. He had made a direct hit with the sword of the Spirit. But this sword of the flesh that he swung that day only did damage to the testimony he was fighting when he should have been listening. We have to know as believers, we're fighting the good fight, but our, our warfare is not with flesh and blood. The warfare that we're in in the good fight is in a spiritual realm with spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And the only way we could ever win the fight is not by going on the attack, but using the sword of the Spirit. It's not by rushing the enemy, but by standing and having done all to stand, stand therefore in the power of His might. But Simon Peter was fighting when he should have been trusting. That's the third step. Is it easy for a Christian to start to be argumentative? I talk to uh, some young flaming evangelists from time to time, and they say, you know, really what I'm into is apologetics. And I always say, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're not here to win the argument. We're here to win the soul. If you win the argument, you'll lose the soul. God will win His own argument. The point of contact is touching the heart that is deep in sin and showing the sinner where he can get relief from the Savior. Simon Peter, he took up the sword of the flesh, and he struck when he should have been trusting. Number four, of course, they took the Lord. They led him out across the Kidron Valley up to the house of Caiaphas. All the other disciples fled except for John. And we read, when they led Jesus away, this is Mark chapter 14, verse 53, they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed at a distance. That's step number four. Boasting when he should have been listening, sleeping when he should have been praying, fighting when he should have been trusting, and number four, he was following at a distance when he should have been close. It doesn't take long to allow a distance to get between us and the Lord. I saw a poster years ago. It said, if you're not as close to the Lord as you used to be, who moved? All we have to do is lag behind a little, and it's the stragglers that get caught. It's true in the Old Testament examples. It's true in our life. Here's a good saying. One day out of the Word, and you know it. Two days out of the Word, your wife knows it. Three days out of the Word, everybody knows it. Three days out of the Word, it's hard to get caught up. They left the Lord in Jerusalem when He was at the age of 12, and they went a day's journey without Him. You would think just a day's journey would find Him. It took two days to find Him. <laughs> Three days. Listen, it just takes one day, one thought, to start slipping and falling back. Simon Peter had already started the downward trend. He's already on step number four. He's always already allowed a distance to get between him and the Lord. It's hard to bring up the distance, isn't it? Simon Peter was following at a distance when he should have been close. 
Look at the rest of verse 44, 54. Verse 54, here's the next step downward. It tells us that he sat, and this is in the court of the high priest, the courtyard, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Simon Peter, step number five, he was sitting when he should have been standing. And of all places, sitting at the campfire of the enemy, warming himself. I'm amazed how many campfires I see at Yosemite when it's 100 degrees or 95 degrees. It certainly isn't for the warmth. We could have used it this morning. You know, it was down to 56 or 57. It was chilly, wasn't it? And nobody had a fire this morning. It was all last night, 90, 90 degrees. Why do we build a campfire when it's so hot and we're perspiring already? Don't say some mores. You know what it is. There's something more than just graham crackers, Hershey's chocolate candy bars, and marshmallows that we have to use up because we're leaving to go home tomorrow. You know what it is. A campfire means fellowship, doesn't it? In almost every culture in our world, even right here in this modern culture, when you build a campfire and you sit around it, it represents fellowship. And Simon Peter, of all people, a follower of the Lord, sitting at a campfire with the enemy, he was starting to blend in. He was a chameleon, wasn't he? And he figured, nobody's going to know who I am. I'll just sit here and get some warmth. But if you're getting warmth from the fellowship with this world, you're in the company of the enemy. You know, that's what happens to believers, isn't it? When pride strikes in and we boast, when we start to get sleepy in our spiritual life, when we start to try to fight, when we let a distance get between us and the Lord, then all of a sudden, you know, it feels better to be around the unsaved. Now, I'm not saying don't talk to the unsaved. Where are you going to win people? Paul said, don't depart out of this world <laughs> to separate yourself. We're in here. But he says, don't be at home with immorality or unbelief. And Simon Peter, he was fitting right in. Some of us right here could be playing that game and think, I can have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. My African friends used to say, if you got one foot in the world, one foot in the church, you'll split right down the middle. You can't have fellowship with both. We reach out to the world, but our fellowship, it has to be in Christ, doesn't it? And he was warming himself, gaining personal comfort at the enemy's fire, sitting when he should have been standing. Well, he's almost to the bottom, and it gets worse from here. Because the Lord uses weak things to confound the things that are mighty. And this big burly fisherman that had just stood up in the flesh and said, I'll never fall, was about to take his first downfall. Step number six. Look at verse 66. Mark chapter 14 and verse 66 tells us, Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. I thought he might use a Roman centurion, didn't you? No, he used a little servant girl of the high priest. She came out, and in verse 67 it says, And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus 
of Nazareth. You can almost feel the waves of echoing into his soul to say, what do I do now? From his five steps downward, he had no strength to stand in. He was a sitting duck, wasn't he? And the only thing that could come from his chicken heart out of his mouth was, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch. And when he went out on the porch, the rooster crowed. That's number one. Number two, verse 69. As Peter went out on the porch, it tells us in verse 69, and the servant girl saw him again. Must have been he went one way, she went the other, and boom, right there face to face. And this time in verse 69, she began to say to those who stood by. You know, when God starts putting his finger on you, he'll deal with you personally first. You were one of them. And unless you acknowledge it, he opens it up for others. David said, against you and you only have I sinned. But it took Nathan to put his finger in his face and say, you are the man, David. And it became known by all. She began to speak to those who stood by. This is one of them. What's he going to say? Verse 70, but he denied it again. Number two. He was denying when he should have been owning. Am I a soldier of the cross? A follower of the Lamb? And should I fail to speak his name? I'm sorry, I messed up the words. Or blush to speak his name? For a believer, when it comes to owning up to knowing the Lord, Take the consequences of knowing him rather than disowning him. He was denying when he should have been owning. Yes, I'm one of his. But he took the sixth step down away into his fall. Lastly, at the end of verse 70, it tells us after it says he denied it again, it says, and a little later, a little while, Little children, a little later, it was coming fast, wasn't it? Those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. And it tells us in verse 71, He began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Lastly, Peter was cursing when he should have been confessing. His speech betrayed him, and so he used cursing. It sounds the same in every accent and language, doesn't it? And he was cursing when he should have been confessing. The Lord said, Satan has asked to have you that he may sift you as wheat. I've prayed for you that your faith fail not, and when you are restored, strengthen the brethren. If you want to find out how not to fall, talk to somebody that just fell. They'll tell you what to watch out for. And Peter took seven steps downward. If you want to avoid that last bitter fall, watch out for step number one. Pride will bring you down every time. A haughty spirit before destruction, pride goes before a fall. That's what happened to Simon Peter. And he says, 
You know, if you do these things, you'll never stumble or fall. We can take a lesson from Simon Peter because it's Simon Peter and me. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, how much we owe to the bitter experiences of life that are recorded in your word, that through the examples that have been written about, the comfort and the patience of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And we relate to Simon Peter as we observe what happened in his life, how we followed that same downward trend and failed bitterly before. Oh, Lord, keep us from falling. Help us to stand and to stand in your strength alone. And we pray now, Lord, that you will continue to strengthen us through your word, through our brother's ministry this morning, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.